You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. basically saying, don't get too comfortable in the world, folks. Don't get too comfortable in your surroundings, in your world, because this is not your home. Remember Abraham and the Old Testament saints? They said that they were sojourners. Abraham was a sojourner in the land. He was a sojourner just passing through. And, and, and they confessed, we're just strangers, we're pilgrims. But they were looking for a city that has foundations whose maker was God. As believers and followers of Christ, it's important that we maintain a kingdom-oriented mindset. As nice and cushioned of a life as we might have on earth, we're merely passing through. In today's message, Pastor Dave will remind you that we as believers are sojourners and that our one true residence is with God. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 20. As he begins his message, no breaks in the battle. Second Samuel chapter 20, so if hopefully you've found your way there in your Bibles. We're going to open it up and see what the Lord would speak to us about. He has spoken a lot to me about this chapter, as he seems to do for most chapters. It's interesting what we're able to glean and pull out of these Old Testament scriptures. I'm, I'm enjoying them immensely. So, Okay, so we come to chapter 20. Now, David had put down the rebellion of Absalom. That's behind him. He had put up with the squabbling between the ten tribes of Israel and the two tribes, Judah and the um, tribe of Simeon. And I'm sure he was looking for a time of respite. You know, the, the, the rebellion's gone. He's kind of weary from everything that's happened. He's kind of thinking that, okay, maybe I can catch a breath. Maybe I can kind of sit back and relax. Maybe I can just clear things. And maybe I can start worrying about what's going on in the kingdom. Not so fast, David. Not everybody is happy with David's return. There are those who are grumbling about David's return to the throne. And there are those who are making waves. And in chapter 20, David is faced with yet another rebellion. And this time, it's from a scoundrel named Sheba. It's interesting to me that this is how our lives seem to go. This is how our lives seem to go, especially in those of you who might be serving in ministry. But overall, this is how the Christian life seems to go. We find ourselves in the midst of some adversity. We find ourselves in the midst of some challenge or difficulty. And when we come out of it, we take a breath and not much time passes before we're rudely awakened and we're going back into another trial, another time of woe or whatever. It's really crazy, but they quickly come our way. And all we're doing is looking for a time to take a breath. Well, as the title for today's message says, there's no breaks in the battle, folks. The battle continues. The battle continues on. And as I read through this, and as I studied it, it reminded me of one thing. Reminded me of one thing. This isn't my home. This isn't my home. No. I'm a sojourner here. I'm just passing through. 
and I happen to be here. And, you know, it's, there's no coincidence that on Monday night they're chewing apart Philippians. But in Philippians 3, in verse, beginning in verse 20, the Apostle Paul writes these very words. Beginning in verse 20, go to 4.1. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and my crown, stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Oh, wow. Man. Wow, I love that. Paul's talking about his citizenship. We're citizens of the United States of America, but as I said, this is not our home. We're sojourners here. We're just passing through. Paul, Paul is basically saying, don't get too comfortable in the world, folks. Don't get too comfortable in your surroundings, in your world, because this is not your home. Remember Abraham and the Old Testament saints? They said that they were sojourners. Abraham was a sojourner in the land. He was a sojourner just passing through. And, and, and they confessed, we're just strangers, we're pilgrims. But they were looking for a city that has foundations whose maker was God. They're looking forward. They're looking unto God. They're looking for the eternal kingdom of God. They were kingdom-minded. Even though they were on this continuum and on this earth, their mind was set on the kingdom. Their mind was totally set on the kingdom. They weren't looking for a place, and they roamed the earth. They were outcasts, basically. They weren't possessing anything. Jesus was an outcast. Son of man doesn't have a place to lay his head, he said. He roams around from place to place. He doesn't have a place to lay his head. Because why? Because this wasn't his home. He was interested in heavenly thing. And Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. So we look for the Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who when he comes... When he comes, we'll change our bodies. And they will be transformed into his glorious image. Like John says in 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are the sons of God. But it doesn't yet appear what we're going to be. But when we know when he appears, we're going to be like him. For we will see him as he is. Oh, I love that. Paul, writing in the same vein, writing in the same thought, says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 55. I'll show you a mystery. We're not all going to sleep, but we are going to be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. For this corruption must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality and then be brought to pass by saying, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Jesus is our victory. Jesus comes again. We'll have experience a metamorphosis, just like the caterpillar spinning the cocoon and going into the cocoon for a while. And when he appears, he's this beautiful butterfly. A metamorphosis is going to take place. The robe of flesh I have, I'll drop it, and I will reap a prize of everlasting life. I will reap this new body, a new body, a building that God made by his hand, not human hands. My body will be changed, and this old worn-out body that seems to be failing every day will be fashioned into his glorious image. And Why? Because it's according to the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. So if we're citizens in heavens, it means that we're aliens on earth. We're foreigners to a, uh, 
And you're distinct. You stick out when you're a foreigner. I'm, go, I'm going with a group over to Israel here coming Monday, and I'm sure I'm going to stick out like a sore thumb. I'm going to look like an American because I am. But I'm going to stick out like a sore thumb in Israel. So when you're a foreigner, you stick out. But Christians must also be marked by their heavenly citizenship. Do you ever hear the old phrasing, oh, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good? Praise God, I wish somebody said that to me. Yeah, you're right. Praise God. Praise God. I want to be that way. But we need to keep this perspective through our entire life. And this is the perspective David had. David had this perspective because of his relationship with the Lord. Only because of his relationship with the Lord did David have this perspective. The closer we get to the Lord, the more we become like him. The more we're changed. And that metamorphosis is taking place. And whose job is it to do the metamorphosis? Holy Spirit, exactly. He's working in you right now, changing you into the image of our beloved Savior. And what John said, right now everything's a little dim. But man, when I see him face to face, oh boy, what a glorious time. David never saw the promise of God, it says in Hebrews 11. All the Old Testament saints never saw the promise of God. What was the promise of God? Jesus Christ. But they saw him afar off. They visualized him. They saw him. They believed in him. They trusted in him. He never saw that promise. But he knew he existed. And he knew he was coming. And he was hanging on to that promise. So David's in that mindset now. He's back close to God once again. He's following God once again. And he's, he, and he, and he's saying, okay, Lord, things have calmed down now. So let's, let's, let's take it easy. And the Lord says, not so. There's a new problem coming up for David. There are no breaks in the battle. There are no breaks in the battle. We continually fight. We are constantly at war. There's a war between us, our flesh, and Satan. There's a war that goes on. The spirit is battling. And the war and the battle is constant. It's enduring. And it's relentless. But we are not powerless, folks. We are not powerless towards this war that is going on in our bodies. Sometimes I think we envision the spirit and the flesh going at it while we speculate from the sidelines. No, we're involved in this. We're, we're partakers of there. We cheer the spirit on through our prayers. We cheer the spirit on through our worship. We cheer the spirit on by gathering together and, and fellowshipping with the saints. We cheer the spirit on. The old adage is, which one is winning, the flesh or the spirit? Well, the one you feed the most. That's the one that's winning. Feeding in the flesh, the flesh is strong. Feed the spirit, I mean, yeah, feed to the flesh, the flesh is strong. Feed the spirit, the spirit is strong. We need to feed our spirit, and that's what we need to do. We have a hope, a hope that doesn't disappoint. Jesus Christ is our hope, and in him we hope for all things that are written in the Bible to come true, and that is called faith. We believe it. God never asked us to understand it, but he did ask us to believe it, to accept it by faith. So we must stop drifting away. We must stop drifting. There's a temptation to drift every single time. We have this temptation to drift, and we're tempted to indulge in the flesh. We shut our Bibles, and then all of a sudden we become anxious, and we start getting into a frenzy, and we can't understand why, when we have the key right here. We need to always be looking to the Lord for the answers. But our flesh is so tempting. Our flesh wants to lure us away and try to get us to go. Sometimes we actually surrender to the flesh. Sometimes we actually surrender to the flesh, and the flesh seems to win. 
We lose our grip on Jesus. We say, I can't resist. Oh, yes, you can. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You can resist. You have the power to resist. He's called the Holy Spirit. We need to turn to the Holy Spirit. You th do you think, really think the writers of the New Testament would repeatedly command us to be spirit-filled believers and to resist Satan and the world of the flesh if we weren't able to do it? Are they just blowing smoke? No, we're able to do it by the Spirit, by His Spirit. Now, when you are accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're endowed with the Holy Spirit. He comes and He lives in you. But there is a power to be had, a power to be had that comes by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And these are not my words. These are Jesus' words. Stay in Jerusalem. And from not long from now, you will be baptized when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's Jesus' words. So we need that power. We need that power so that we can pursue righteousness, so we can pursue those things that are good. Because I can't do it in my own because my flesh don't want to. Flesh doesn't want to. We're not spectators in this battle. But we must yield to the Spirit and never give way to the flesh. Every day, every day. Don't let yourself drift. Don't let yourself drift away. David's in a place. He's in a good place again. He's in a good place, following God once again. It must have seemed like a long time that he wasn't following God. But look at all the things that happened to him. Look at all the things that happened to him. But he's in a good place again. So he meets this man named Sheba, or we meet this guy named Sheba. Let's read about him in verses 1 and 2. And there happened to be there a rebel <laughs> whose name was Sheba, the son of Bertri, a Benjamite. And he blew a trumpet and said, We have no share in David, nor do we have inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So every man of Israel deserted David and followed Sheba, the son of Bertri. But the men of Judah from the Jordan as far as Jerusalem remained loyal to their king. So this guy, this instigator, this troublemaker in the first order comes around. He must have had considerable power because he had great influence. Now, these guys weren't real happy anyhow because the majority of Israel did what? They backed Absalom. The majority of Israelites backed Absalom. It was only Judah that supported David through all of this, but even some of them went back. They were arguing. Israel, the tribe, the ten tribes that made up Israel were mad. You didn't wait for us to bring David back to Jerusalem. They were having a temper tantrum, and they were angry. So this guy sees a crack in the unity of the nation, and he sneaks his way in there, and he says, don't follow David, follow me. And he blows the trumpet. What does the trumpet symbolize? War. Trumpet symbolizes war. When you blew the shofar, it was the, it, when you, in this matter, it was war. See, Sheba denied the king's sovereignty. He devalued the king's identity. What do we have to do with the son of Jesse? He decided to go in his own way, and he drew everybody else with him. And he had a very, very low opinion of David. Gee, if they do not follow David, I wonder why he wants to follow them. Hmm. Why do you think Sheba wants to follow them? Now, I'm sure there's some selfish ambition in there someplace. I'm sure Sheba thought that maybe he would be a commander of an army, or he would have some high position in a new government, or maybe he would even take the crown. Who knows? But he had these visions of grandeur flowing through his head. 
I've learned that these sort of people who come out of the woodwork, there's always a self-motive involved. They always have a self-motive. Where there is dissension, where there is disunity, someone always starts looking to others so that they can sway them and bring them against the leadership. They're always looking for a crack, always listening. They hear, oh, well, you know, they hear some unhappy people, and they're right there. And they start talking. They start talking, trying to drag them away from the leadership, trying to drag them away and make a, a crack in the church. They use popular phrases and catch slogans to draw people away. But they draw people to themselves. This is selfish ambition. Remember what Dathan did when Moses was up on the mountain? David started complaining. He left us. He's been up there 40 days. He's not going to come back. He left us out here to die. We're, well, what's wrong with you? Come on. And they all started, and they followed Dathan, and all of a sudden, they made this golden calf. That's what happens. People are so easily led when they hear somebody speaking. Sheba's plan seems to work. Scripture says all of Israel followed him. Every man followed him. But the loyal men of Judah stayed with David because David was from the tribe of Judah. So what does David have now? Another civil war. Another civil war. He just got finished putting down a civil war, and here he has another civil war. Look at verse 3. Now David came from, to his house at Jerusalem, and the king took the ten women, his concubines, whom he had left to keep the house, and put them in seclusion and supported them, but did not go into them. So they were shut up to the day of their death, living in widowhood. This is very sad. One of the first orders of business that David does when he gets back to Jerusalem, he takes the ten concubines and he locks them away. He puts them away. These are the ones that Absalom violated on top of the roof in front of all Israel. These are the ones that he violated according to God's prophecy against David. These ten concubines unfortunately become victims of not only Absalom's sins, but David's sins as well. Sometimes we don't realize the effect our sin has on others. We don't realize. We think it's just between us and God, but there is collateral damage, if I say, to our sin. There's collateral damage. David couldn't divorce them, and he couldn't punish them because it wasn't their fault. They couldn't punish them, and he could no longer be familiar with them. He could no longer use them as concubines and go into them because they had been defiled by his own son. If he had married them, it would set a dangerous precedent, and it wouldn't be right. So he locked them up, and the poor things had to stay there until their death. That's kind of sad. But again, we don't realize the effect our sin has on others. Look at 4 and 6. And the king said to Amasa, Assemble the men of Judah, for with me within three days, and present yourself here. So Amasa went to assemble the men of Judah, but he delayed longer than the set time which David had appointed him. So Amasa is a little reluctant to move. He was Absalom's general, remember? But they were defeated by Joab. He's not a very competent general. He's not a very competent military man. So David gets tired of waiting for him, maybe thinking that he might have joined forces with Sheba because, after all, he was a friend to Absalom. So he sends for Abishai, our friend, and he wants him to take the personal guards, the Lord's servants, and move forward. Read 7 through 10. Now let's read 6. And David said to Abshai, Now Sheba the son of Bertri 
will do us more harm than Absalom. Take your Lord's servants and pursue them, lest he find for himself fortified cities and escape us. The word Lord's servants here are the palace guards. They're the ones who surround the king, and they're his personal bodyguards, so to speak. Take them. Take them with them and move forward. So Joab's men, the Sherathites and the Pelethites, and all the mighty men went out after them. And they went out to Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, the son of Bertri. When they were at a large stone, which is in Gibeon, Amasa came before them. Now Joab was dressed in battle armor. On it was a belt with a sword fastened in its sheath at his hip. And as he was going forward, it fell out. Oops. Then Joab said to Amasa, Are you in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand and kissed him. Uh, this is a sign of friendship. He grabs his beard. Come here, my little bubbler. And he wants to kiss him. He wants to be friendly with him, right? But it's really interesting that when he got out of there, his, his sword fell out. Oh, my, my sword fell out. Let me pick it up. So he picks it up. And what does he do next? Look at verse 10. But Amasa did not notice the sword that was in Joab's hand. And he, Joab, struck Amasa in the stomach. And his entrails put out on the ground, and he did not strike him again. Thus he died. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba, the son of Berche. So here we have this real gentle guy, Joab, again. <laughs> this is a real classy guy, right? Remember, don't lay a hand on Abner. Oh, we won't. And he goes out and he kills Abner. Then he says, whatever you do, don't kill my son Absalom. Oh, no, Lord. Kills, kills Absalom. And now he kills this guy Amasa. He tricks him. He grabs him by the beard to give him a kiss, which at that time was a friendly thing. So be careful. All those of you guys have beards, Lou. We're going to come back and go, oh, I'm a little bubbler. Yeah, grab your beard. It's a greeting, right? And as he does that, Amasa thinks, well, this guy's going to welcome me like a brother. He even calls him brother. I mean, come on. And then he stabs him. Stabs him. He acted boldly. And his troops were right there. He didn't care what they saw. He was defiant of David once again. This guy's incredible. Now, why did he do this? Why would he do this? Anybody have a guess? You were here when we studied it. Why do you think he would do this? I agree. I think he was definitely power hungry. I think he was angry because David had replaced him as general of the army with Amasa. And he was power hungry. And nobody was getting by on him. And he knew exactly what he wanted to do. This was personal revenge. We sacrifice all our interests for personal gain. Sadly, once more, the prophecy of the Lord becomes true. Why? Amasa was David's cousin. Remember, the sword shall not leave your family. Once again, we have this strange prophecy happening in there. But Joab was a ruthless killer. He was brutally loyal to David to a fault. But no one wanted to create a problem. He said, there will be no more problems for my king. That guy's a mean dude, man. Mean dude. You are a sure.
The book of 2 Samuel continues the story of King David as he's finally able to ascend the throne. Though he seemed to have achieved God's calling on his life, David's journey wasn't free of problems. David was still human, and he made mistakes that affected him and those he loved. But during the rest of his life, no matter where it took him, David remained a man after God's own heart. When confronted with his sin, David consistently turned back to his heavenly father, confessing and asking for forgiveness. David knew he wasn't perfect and that he needed the mercy only God could provide. Today, we hope you too remember that God's mercy is worth seeking. He's provided for you the grace you need to live free from your sin through the blood of Jesus. Jesus came to die on the cross in your place, taking the punishment your sins deserved. Would you like to know more about having your sins forgiven? Please visit our website then, assurehoperadio.com. Click on How to Be Saved to learn all about what Jesus has done for you and why you need His grace in your life. If you still have questions or would like us to pray with you, please don't hesitate to call us, 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We're so glad you tuned in today. You can hear more messages like this from Pastor Dave at our website as well. Just click on podcasts slash radio when you visit assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for joining us today on Assure Hope.